Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. What you are about to hear is a special live edition of the show that was recorded recently at an unconference that was all about zero trust. The conference was sponsored by Symmetry Systems. As you all know by now, I'm a big believer in zero trust despite the overuse and even the abuse of the term in so many marketing efforts in cybersecurity. I know zero trust gets bandied about a lot in ways that it has nothing to do with anything zero trust related, but I do believe there is a real thing called zero trust. I do believe it's vital to how we manage our cybersecurity programs, and I'm a big believer in zero trust. Now, my guest for this show is Claude Mandy, and I'm going to leave it to the live intro to speak to his credentials in our industry. Suffice it to say, he's a heck of a guy with a heck of a background. With that being said, enjoy this special edition show. I think you'll learn something about zero trust and about data security posture management as well. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. All righty, folks. Howdy and welcome to a live episode of the Cyber Ranch Podcast. A special episode. This one is sponsored by Symmetry Systems. And with me today is my friend, Claude Mandy. And I do mean friend. He's a good man. He's the chief evangelist at uh, Symmetry Systems. He's a former Gartner analyst. He's a former CISO. He has been around the block, been there, done that. A lot of roles in cybersecurity. Claude, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Alan, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited to, to kind of doing this on the back of our uh, cyber security zero trust unconference with uh, our friends Project Arch as well. All right, so uh, this unconference, it's been all about zero trust. And we've talked about, um, you know, we've talked about data, we've talked about identity, we've talked about a variety of things today. But I specifically wanted to dive into DSPM and how it relates to zero trust because I'm, I'm confident that there's a, there's a friction of identity and data that matters. Like, like one of my sayings is assets are no longer an end, they're a means to an end. And that end is data. So where are you at with DSPM and its role in zero trust? Hi. It's a, it's a great question because uh, maybe we'll first start with what, what DSPM is. So DSPM, Data Security Posture Management, it's essentially really looking at the things that the organization cares about the most, their data, and then working out from that, trying to figure out what the identities that can access it, what um, data stores, databases they're in, and what the security posture of all of that is. So it's, it's very much a, a kind of inventory, find out where your data is and work backwards to figure out is it secure from there. So, you know, we kind of class ourselves potentially as a zero trust, which gives me a little bit of heebie-jeebies, you know, there's a marketing buzzword right there. But the reason why we say that is because we're trying to reduce the amount of privilege that we give people when they're accessing their data. So it, it's really starting zero trust for data. We don't do authentication, but we do make sure that the people who have access to that data are the right people it should have accesses, and we go a step further and make sure that what they're doing with that data is in line with your organizational policies for that data. So it's not about auth n. In your case, it's about auth z. Um, in in a sum up, right? I mean, you could always argue that people just landed on saying auth because the difference between authentication and authorization was too hard to keep straight in your mind. So <laughs> you know, let's just call it part of the auth auth kind of journey. 
Okay, I love that. So, so I was in a uh, Digital Fight Club last week. I don't know if you guys have heard of Digital Fight Club, but these guys came to Dallas and invited me to be one of the fighters. You look and pretty good for someone who's been in a fight. I, you know, well, you should see my leg. Um, the um, the debate was zero trust, and and the argument, the specific debate around zero trust. I had a guy on stage with me arguing that zero trust is not attainable in the real world, and my argument was, oh, you are so wrong. It is absolutely attainable in the real world, and to me, I. I I know I think what your answer is, but let's let's go through real quick the bullets of what I, you know, let's let's kind of define zero trust a little bit before you answer its attainability, right? I think you have to establish identity for all entities. You have to verify the integrity of all entities. And the important part, like you said, is validating that those entities deserve access to whatever the key resources and key data are. And then you monitor constantly to ensure that one to three are happening. So is this attainable? Is this doable? And if so, how? That's a really big question. I mean, the, the whole unconference today has been talking about exactly that. We started the, this morning with George Finney, who's written a book that says zero trust is attainable in six months. Well, part of the zero trust, making sure that your zero trust journey starts with achievable goals within a certain time frame so that you can actually achieve those and make sure that you're making progress. Is that achievable? Absolutely. Can you achieve that year on year on year on year? Absolutely. But that's part of what zero trust is. It's this continuous monitoring, continuous effort to improve your security posture, improve. You know, I was quite passionate about this. So it's, it's definitely something that is obtainable and achievable with the support of the business. And that's another thing that we heard a lot today. Yes. That they're getting the support and buying of the business makes sure that you get the support that you need to make these incremental and sometimes big jumps in your maturity of your organization along the zero trust paradigm. I, I agree with that fully. And I, we're back to my old argument that 90% of a CISO's job is cultural and 10% is technical. Um, you know, that's, I, I truly think it's a cultural battle nine times out of 10. So let's, let's kind of dissect that a little bit. Like, like what if your zero trust strategy is too restrictive? What's the impact of the business? They just stop doing business, right? Um, if you, if you kind of get, into that, it's all about how quickly people can access. And in some organizations, you know, my, my background is in the banking sector, a lot of trading has to happen within a certain period of time. Yet if you don't do it within that time, you lose the, the advantage of trading. You have to, to kind of take advantage of that. So if you throw in two restrictive trust policies and kind of authentication requirements that prevent people from making those trades in a certain time frame, you're losing money, real money for these organizations. Yeah. All right, let's flip that around. Zero trust is now too permissive. What's the bottom line for the business? Well, you're going to have a, a lot of turnover in CISOs because the, the breaches and, and um, opportunities that you provide in allowing people to have too much access to too many things is a, a ripe hunting ground for the attackers in the world. All right. So let's, let's pivot now. Uh, we've defined zero trust. We've talked about its attainability. We've talked about its impact to the business. We've talked about we both are believers in it being real. Um, but let's step back a little bit because the marketing hype around the phrase, right? Like there, there are some CISOs I know who won't even use the phrase zero trust anymore because it's been marketed to death, right? Uh, nearly every vendor out there is trying to claim their zero trust, relate to it in some way. You know, how do you rise above all that marketing hype? I. I think you can always use the marketing hype in a, in a certain way, as long as you're factual and accurate about what you do, right? We're not an authentication vendor, and if you're not, you shouldn't kind of say you're 
zero trust network authentication, right? So whatever you use to, to kind of create that hype and work through, you have to back it up with actual products and with messaging that shows exactly what you mean. I think too many people in the marketing space just leave it as this is the buzzword without any substantive depth below that to say this is how we approach it. This is why we think we are a zero trust vendor, or how we kind of help you start on your journey or end your journey um, or how we apply the philosophy to a new asset or resource like we do in the data space. And it's kind of these nuances that you need, really need to work through and make sure that you can consider when you're looking at the marketing thing. Uh, are you actually providing the details of why you've adopted that term and being able to, to kind of link the dots in the minds of the CISOs? I mean, CISOs are not stupid people. I think there are a lot smarter people in this room that we've had today who are absolutely amazing and they can connect these dots quickly and they can see through that hype and that marketing buzzword if you don't have the substantiveness behind your product. Yeah, fair. That's a totally fair point. So, so looking at Zero Trust from the big picture view then, stepping back completely, is it a framework? Is it an architecture or is it something else? I definitely believe it's something else, right? In terms of it's a philosophy and a principle that you pro- apply to protecting the things that you care about most. It's a, a philosophy in that you can kind of think about it as almost your North Star for everything that you do within the security space. And as you kind of progress to that, you kind of go, can I remove some more trust from this kind of um, discussion on whether I should give this person access or allow them to do something? So that kind of philosophy is, is something you just apply to every decision you make, whether it's an architecture, mm-hmm. whether you kind of are building a framework to apply to making certain decisions, you're building that philosophy and those principles of zero trust into those frameworks, into those architectures. So it's a fundamental underlying philosophy that drives all of the above, basically. You could almost argue that it should be the principle behind most security strategies. Right. Now, now you mentioned George Finney. This is, you know, we've been at a live event all day, and George Finney was our first kickoff conversation. And he said something to me, you know, that ties into this philosophy argument of yours. You know, he said it's essentially nothing more than, I mean, when he summarized it and gave his one-sentence view... The key phrase that stood out for me was he said, you're basically hunting down trust relationships and eradicating them. And, and I thought, people talk about Auth Z, Auth N, permissions, least privilege, like there's all these methods and means of looking at it, but at the end of the day, what you're really trying to do is figure out where the trust is occurring and replace that trust with a model that is a little more skeptical, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was philosophically, I thought that was such a great driver and such a good talking point to it. I, I kind of agree. I would, I'd probably go a little bit further and say when you look at trust, it's implicit trust, trust that you just give out freely right. versus trust that you, you've kind of taken the next step. You explicitly trust in that thing or that identity or, or that activity because you don't yeah. have a, another choice. You can't reduce it any further, that implicit trust. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, and, and I think George actually expressed it that way. I think I'm probably overly simplifying what he said. But let's, let's talk about actually doing that. What, what are the biggest challenges in implementing a zero-trust implementation? I think I can probably go back to most of today. The big thing that kept coming back is there might be a potential impact. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some opportunities where when you are implementing zero-trust for the first time, you have to convince the, the business that it's worthwhile doing. Um, they might not really consider it 
something that is the biggest priority. Most of these organisations have other things that they need to do. Um, so I think working through that and, and kind of making sure that you're getting the business on board and getting their buy-in before anything else is one of the hardest things you can do in any security job, let alone on a zero-trust journey. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the CISO's burden that's always there, but, but maybe magnified a little bit. At my fight club the other night, one of the judges asked this question. I thought it was so brilliantly put. She said, um, why should I fund, she was pretending to be a board member, why should I fund this whole zero trust thing you're doing when the business has security priorities? What, why, why are we doing zero trust instead of those priorities? And, and my answer to her was, it's a specious question. Zero trust is how we tackle the priorities, right? And so to me, that implies a rollout um, that's kind of priority focused, right? In other words, you don't just blindly say we're going to zero trust everywhere. You, you say, let's zero trust the highest priority targets first, right? Like, like there's a way to implement and roll out where you're talking about the crown jewels first versus, you know, a rabid security, you know, architecture centered around, you know, whatever, uh, totally meaningless marketing data or something. Um, I'd kind of jump in there. Yeah. So a lot of what we focus on is saying we, we're doing security from the data out, which is what the business we think should really care about. Yeah. It's really about prioritizing whether you call in it the most critical data or the, the biggest priority. And then when we look at the attacks and the threat-informed views on top of that, that's what the attackers are going after. And if we take a little step further and then we look at the regulations, I mean, yes, we see in cybersecurity regulations pop up, but a lot of them are privacy regulations, protecting your data and making sure that that data is secure and being used appropriately. And that's mm -hmm. where the big fines and penalties are coming from from a regulation perspective. So when you put all this together, it kind of says to us, we should start at the data and try to figure out what your data is and do that inventory right. before kind of jumping into this zero trust journey. Right, exactly. Know what the crown jewels are that you're trying to protect before you bother to implement a protection strategy. Because at, at the end of the day, I mean, you called it a philosophy, but it is a protection philosophy that, that you're going to implement that's going to infect, uh, affect, not infect, architectures and frameworks, like we said. And at the end of the day, business prioritization is business prioritization. So... What good business arguments then do we have? What are the benefits to the business for zero trust? There's, there's obviously the number one thing and the reason why we're in security is to reduce business risk, right? It's, it's to kind of make sure that we are reducing the frequency and the impact of these security events. And some of those impacts of those security events might put your business out of business. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're looking existential at... Existential threats. Existential threats, ransomware. Um, you're either going to pay for it and you still might not get your business up and running, or you're going to do that. But that's focused on the, the data as well. So the biggest benefit that you get from, from this is reducing the frequency and the impact of those events. All right. Kind of wrapping that around. You could kind of say a little bit of a least privileged type thing from the impact yeah. perspective, but you're also reducing that attack surface of how people can get access to your data and to the things that you care about the most. Yeah, some, some of our panels that we had earlier today, one of the points that was made I thought was really brilliant was you're going to the board and you're saying, well, what would happen if, and you give them some sort of critical business problem, like every one of your satellite offices was suddenly offline or, you know, Saturday's revenue just doesn't even come in the door, or what, you know, and then yeah. back that off and demonstrate how if this data was compromised, it would cause that effect. And then Zero Trust is here to solve that for that data problem, right? So... I, I think there's lots of business arguments can be made. I think they can be contextualized in business conversation. But at the end of the day, it, it's back to what I was saying earlier about it's the intersection of data 
and identities, right? Like, like the right identities need to do the right things with the data and the wrong identities should not be able to do anything with the data. And, you know, and there's a whole little matrix of right and wrong with data and identities. And, and to me, that, that means assets are entirely secondary. Yeah, I, I mean, with all of that, you're not going to get it right either. Right? Yeah. You're, you're kind of trying to understand this very complex piece, this organization and this set of data across the world constantly changing and the set of identities that it's constantly changing. We're talking about joiners, movers, leavers, change yep. of roles, all that kind of stuff. You kind of have to continuously balance these two kind of things. And you're not going to get it right first. So whatever you're doing, you've got to have that continuous ability to work through that. Yep. No, I have full, full agreement there. Full agreement there. So, all right. So we've talked about it being a data and, and identity intersection. We've talked about data forward being sort of your priority schema. We've talked about it being a philosophy that drives architecture and frameworks. Um, we have talked about real zero trust versus marketing hype. I, I think we've covered it. Is there anything more on zero trust you want to comment on? I think the, the one thing that came out today, definitely that business buy-in to, to kind of start yeah. this journey. Um, but then also we had kind of had a lot of conversation about what do you do next, right? How do you get started on this journey if you've got that business buy-in? I thought it was interesting that a lot of the, the panelists mentioned a breach. Yeah. And the obvious reaction to a breach is to implement zero trust. But why aren't organizations doing that proactively? Right. There was like a big call to action for us to, to kind of really get proactive as an industry, not just um, as security professionals on our own, but get proactive in, in kind of helping people shape this need to be proactively involved in this zero trust journey, making sure that you are being able to help others sell the need for zero trust and kind of make progress on that, that place. So. That was one thing that really stood out for me is a, is a call to action. Yeah let's, yeah. let's get proactive. Yeah, it's, it's back to my judge's question. Like, like, why are you doing that zero trust stuff over there when we have these security problems over here? And it's, it's bridging that and proving that it's necessary. And, you know, if we don't get on top of this now, you, you don't want to be on the back end of this deal. Yeah. The amount of case studies that are, they had this breach and then they took this zero trust journey to reduce the impact. Like, we shouldn't be in a position that we have to beg for organizations to start zero trust but that's the case where we are right now right right all right so let's switch topics all together we're here at rsa this is a live recording after a full morning slash afternoon of um zero trust conversation but this is just day one of rsa man we got a whole rsa in front of us so what are you most excited about in this year's rsa conference there's, there's so much to, to kind of uh, peel away i think obviously this event today was a big um Priority for us, but also I'm just kind of sitting here just basking in how good it was. This was amazing to, to kind of have this uh, collection of people willing to share their thoughts, engage in conversations and work through that. So obviously now we're at the end of it. I'd like to thank the team. There's quite a lot of people who kind of put a, a lot of effort into here. But also the, the kind of next steps, things that I'm really looking forward to is we have a pitch for charity through the, the security tinkerers on, yes, on yes, Thursday. Yes. Where we have uh, eight vendors. That's on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yep. Uh, we've got eight vendors. Uh, Symmetry Systems is one of them. So I'm, I'm oh, right pretty on. pleased. But it's such a great cause. We're raising money for the Rally for Vets to, to kind of help. That's fantastic. So, so for those who don't know what the security tinkers put together is, uh, they, they first gather a whole room full of CISOs, get a bunch of CISO volunteers. 
Then they get a bunch of vendors and say, hey, you guys get to pitch at a room full of CISOs, but you have to donate to Rally for Vets in exchange for doing the uh, the pitch. And it's not a set amount, and the vendors kind of compete and start throwing more and more money in. And we, we, we ended up raising up quite a lot of money for, for Rally for Vets, so I'm super psyched about that one too. Uh, for me, I get to spend Tuesday and Wednesday at the lobby in the W recording fireside chats. Um, what else? I get to record some guys from a certain government agency who may or may not be doing some really positive things in cybersecurity. I, I can share more on that a little bit later. Um, what else for you? Uh, a big thing this week is getting to meet our customers in person. I think it's the, the biggest thing about uh, RSA is get to, to actually meet people left, right, and center. Um, there's, uh, seeing, seeing everyone in person at this big event, you get to talk about their challenges, see them in kind of talk about that, and you form that relationship. Um, yep. We talk about uh, all the, the kind of buzzwords and all that kind of stuff, but security is about the people, and uh, selling is about meeting the people as well and forming those relations and the trust. Uh, so that's wait. definitely a big thing. Wait, so you're forming trust relationships to sell zero trust? Would you have guessed? That's a, that's a little bit of irony there, folks. So I'm going to say that the funniest part of today for me, the funnest part of today for me, this was a great conference we had. The unconference was brilliant. Learned a lot of good stuff. Saw some great presentations on Zero Trust, but we got a drinking game that formed. Now, granted, <laughs> we're not drinking, drinking. People are drinking water and coffee. But anytime not, anybody I'm, said the words AI or chat GPT, you had to stop what you were doing and take a sip. That, to me, was the funnest part of the day. I'm glad we weren't working, walking around the uh, conference wall. Oh, oh, my goodness. AI this uh, and AI that this year, I think, is, is this year's theme. All right, well, ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening in. Claude Mandy from Symmetry Systems, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Alan, it was my pleasure. This was amazing, uh, and thanks for having me once again. All right, y'all be good now.